Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Scherba, and today I have the extreme pleasure of sitting down with Allison Walden, who's a former exploration geologist and currently Senior Director of Technology and Global Accessibility Lead at Publicis Sapien. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have you on today. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Why don't we just jump right into it? Can you take us through your career journey leading up until this point? Yes, definitely. Thanks, Peter. So um, I'll, I'll get into this, but the, the job I have now basically didn't exist back when I was in university, kind of searching around for, for things to do. And I actually uh, had a completely different first career. I started out uh, in geology. So wow. my, yeah. <laughs> So my, my very first job was as an exploration geologist. And, um, you know, when I, when I think about how I got into it, I know I was definitely looking for, uh, some kind of adventure. I definitely wanted to leave the small city that I grew up in. I grew up in Brandon, Manitoba, looking for an excuse to travel the world. This seemed like a good one. Um, lots of good travel opportunities, uh, with geology. Um, yeah. And I, I only did it for a few years, you know, I, um, I ended up, it ended up being that I, I didn't really have that passion for it. You know, like I, I right. grew up with, uh, with a dad who was counting down to his retirement for uh, about 10 years. You know, I yeah. remember, you know, h- him actually talking about it, you know, six years, three months and, and 10 days. <laughs> uh, so I always knew I wanted to find something that, that I had that passion for. Um, and, and I really discovered when I was doing geology work, you know, I, I had fantastic opportunities. I worked in the Arctic circle, uh, exploring for gold. And I just remember noticing that my colleagues would be, you know, going out into, you know, the field every day with the attitude that they were going to find some gold. But for me, I was more cynical. I was like, ah, there's no gold here. So, I, <laughs> you know, I, I was kind of, um, going about my day trying to confirm my assumption that there was no gold. So after a while, I was like, you know what? I don't have the right attitude for this. And, and I'm going to find something I like better. And I also thought, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a very heavily male dominated field in geology. So, you know, I decided to switch to something different like web development. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I did end up going back to school. I, I was looking for kind of a more creative field. One of my big criteria became that, um, you know, I wanted to live in a city. <laughs> uh, you know, before, before I started um, working, I, I always used to think, you know, what, what do I want my office environment to be like? And uh, that's another thing that appealed to me about geology because I, I was a very outdoorsy person, really right. liked hiking. And, and that's something that you could do every day um, if, if you were going out into the woods, right? Um, or, or out into the tunnel. As, as the case may be, um, you know, I was in fantastic shape, <laughs> etc. But, but um, it turns out that, you know what, just because you enjoy hiking, it doesn't mean you want to walk like 15 kilometers a day, right, right, right. you know, like using a cut grid instead of a nice path. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not the same thing. So I want to live in the city, um, ended up uh, getting into multimedia production. And um, I, I went back to college and I ended up getting um, I went, I went and studied in a college program that had an internship and it was my internship that brought me to Toronto. So that, that is how I got here. And, um, 
yeah, I started off as a, as a web designer, um, just doing every, everything that you could possibly imagine, uh, web designer, web development, um, user experience. Like back then, so this was early 2000s, uh, we didn't have the role separation that we do now, right, in, in um, digital fields. Um, and it was pretty fun to be a web designer back then. You know, you had kind of full control over everything, um, different expectations for the job. Like I, I did like all kinds of different things. Like I, at the first place I worked at, uh, I was designing the 3d spinning logo in 3d studio max for, oh, for, cool. for Jordan Knight of the new oh, Kids in the cool. Block, right. And then, um, you know, I, I moved on to PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, I got to design a commercial that played at the Juno Awards using Flash the uh, Macromedia Flash wow. uh, application. So like all kinds of cool stuff, right? And then um, by the time uh, by the time I ended up coming to Publicis APM where I am now in late 2005, that's when that role separation was starting to happen at agencies. And, and I remember the job that I applied for at Publicis APM was called Interface Designer. So oh, I went in, in there thinking I would be designing interfaces, but actually it was a, like a typo on the, the job description. It, it was actually for an interface developer. And it, it, like, it wasn't until my, my second or third interview where I was like, okay, wait a minute, just for clarity, it sounds like you don't need me to design anything. You just need me to code. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that's awesome. Cause I, I was kind of embracing it. You know, it, it's a lot to have to do everything. Right. And, and yeah. I find a lot more people have opinions about the design than they did about the code back then, you know, like for code, they're like, whatever, as long as it works, we don't really care, you know, but we'll, we'll get you to change the, the color a thousand times. So I thought, okay, this is good. I'll, I'll go into web development. So that, that's, that's how I got to Publicis Sapient. So yeah, so when I was at Publicis Sapient, that's when, that's when things were starting to get more specialized in the digital field. Right. You know, I saw um, more of a breakdown happening between the roles and expertise. We were hiring user experience designers, designers, writers, developers, backend developers. Um, and at the time, I uh, was very interested in different weblogs that were available at the yeah. time. So I was uh, really in love with Alista Part, which still exists today. Uh, and SitePoint was like an online magazine that, uh, right. about web development that I was really interested in. And it was around like, it must have been 2004-ish when uh, I discovered some articles by uh, Trenton Moss. I went back and looked it up who wrote those, these articles <laughs> <laughs> uh, about web accessibility. And um, I discovered that you know, to my surprise, I had been developing and designing things slightly wrong for my entire career. Oh, you know? Yeah, like I'd been developing some really bad habits and so had everybody else. Uh, as, the, as the web was getting more and more complex, we were introducing elements to all of the experiences that made it uh, impossible to use them for keyboard and screen reader users. Little did I know. Uh, so I, I quickly corrected my behavior and learned as much as I could about web standards. And I assumed everybody else would do the same and that this would just be this little blip in the world where, you know, it, things briefly weren't working for people with disabilities. But right. again, to my surprise, that's not what happened. And, you know, 15, more than 15 years later, uh, you know, everything has gotten even more complex. And instead of, you know, even staying on par with how it used to be, everything's gotten way less accessible. 
um, through, throughout my career. But I mean, that, that was kind of happening in the background for me. As soon as I got to Sapient, I ended up getting staffed on this massive project for a huge telecom company. Um, I had the opportunity to work with people all over the world. So, um, you know, the kind of the hallmark of Publicis Sapien is our globally distributed teams. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I had opportunities to go and um, work with the team in India on different projects, which was like just amazing to just meet all of these talented people all around the world. Um, And at the time on this very first project, um, I was lucky enough to have as a tech lead, uh, the person who's now our chief product officer, and you've had him on the podcast with Sheldon Montero. Yeah, so even though I was only a senior associate at the time, uh, Sheldon let me contribute to how the work was being done and offer my own thinking and solutions to, you know, wider spread problems that, that were happening between the teams. And just kind of in short, I felt really seen by him and it just felt amazing. And just the faith that he showed in me made me want to work harder. And, you know, looking back, what I think he actually showed me is that, you know, with support from the right people, anything is possible. Right. Yeah. So about five years into my career, uh, I was a manager now, and I got the opportunity to talk with a client about doing a web accessibility audit. And our company had never done this before. Uh, So I was looped in by one of our group vice presidents from the Chicago area who, you know, you should look up having him on your podcast, uh, Raju Patel, if you ever met him. Yeah. And uh, he let me speak directly with the client. Again, I was pretty junior to just go around trying to sell work to the clients. Um, But I managed to sell through this engagement. And uh, that was great in itself. But what did Raju do? He sent an email announcing my accomplishment, congratulating me to all the senior leads across the entire company, which I was just completely floored. Yeah. Um, And he impressed me so much with how... Uh, you know, he was giving me credit where credit was due. And I hope that I learned that too. You know, I hope people would say that I do the same thing. I always try and and give people credit and kind of boost them along. So that was kind of my first, uh, my first foray into web accessibility at a, at a professional level, like recognized by the company. Um, and another milestone in my career was when, um, I was a senior manager, uh, I got to participate in this uh, year-long in-house MBA program that we have called Chief. It, we, it was called at the time Chief Marketing Technology Officer University. Yeah. So um, this included opportunities for reflection, personal growth, uh, deep learning, and marketing and technology topics. And it ended with uh, everyone having to do a presentation at a big conference, like a real conference. Um, and that would have been my first conference speaking opportunity. But through Sheldon, I was actually offered a slot at South by Southwest before oh, that. very cool. Yeah. So the first conference I ever spoke at was South by Southwest, which was incredibly wow. terrifying. Yeah. So, um, I mean, really like just th- that conference and then speaking at the conference for our MBA program, um, that really opened up possibilities for me and allowed me to become this person who speaks at conferences, which often sounds magical to someone who's never spoken at a conference. Yeah. Um, and, and really kind of building my reputation, uh, you know, I got the opportunity to write some white papers. Um, I main, maintained an internal external blog. I got the opportunity to do research. Um, so yeah, for the last 10 years, I've been doing that. I've been building up our accessibility practice and capabilities at Publicis Sapient. Um, and finally, last year, I presented a business case to our chief delivery officer. Uh, and I did this with the help and support of another longtime publicist sapient person named uh, Sucharita Venkatesh. 
So I had known for years what I wanted to do to shape our company's skills and offerings in terms of creating accessible experiences. And Suchi is this person who knows the inner workings of the company enough to know who I should ask and how to ask them. And it just reminds me again, you know, again, anything's possible with support from the right people. Like I just, I couldn't have put this together without Suchi, but today, yeah, today I'm a senior director of technology and I lead our accessibility center of excellence at Publicis APN. Amazing. I mean, I, I, this is the main, like the reason why I wanted to bring you on is just because of how great the story around how you're, you've elevated your career into this kind of global COE lead through, uh, persistence, through belief in kind of the, the space that, that you were focused on and that you had a passion for. And it, it just goes to show kind of how that really does pay off if, if you do persist and kind of have a vision for something. And so, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I do want to circle back kind of the, the beginning where you talk a little about geology. And I know you, you said some of the motivators that got you into it, but I mean, I've just never had someone in that field <coughs> on the podcast. And uh, or any field like that. So I'm very excited to explore this a little bit selfishly and maybe for the audience as well. But how did, like, well, firstly, what what triggered you outside of the desire to travel and be outside to, to go into geology? I mean, there's a lot of options that could have gotten you, you know, met those requirements, right? Those are pretty broad requirements. <clears throat> and so I guess what, what really got you in there? And then once we answer that, <clears throat> I'd love to really just talk about like, you know, you, you said you were in the Arctic Circle exploring for gold, but it, was that part of like a research group for university? Was it for like a private company? What does a career even look like? And how do you like navigate finding a job in geology? Okay, well, yeah, so this is pretty funny. I before I went into geology, I don't think I spent more than 10 minutes thinking about rocks like ever <laughs> in my entire life. Amazing. My, my uncle had a cabin on the Canadian Shield like near Kenora in Ontario. Yeah. And I went back to his cabin after I was trained as a geologist. And I just noticed all these aspects about the rocks that never even occurred to me before. And I was just like, wow, I, I never even saw these rocks before I was in geology. Right, right. So, so I like I you're right. I, I wouldn't have even thought of it. Growing up in, in the middle of, you know, Brandon, in the middle of the prairies in Manitoba, there is no pre-Cambrian shield. Like what it, what made me even think of it? It's it's actually I just, you know, I I met a friend. I met I met a guy who was uh, studying geology. I didn't know what I wanted to study at school. And uh, he told me that, oh, this like historical geology course is really interesting. You know, you should take it. So I took it and then uh, just our geology department in in Brandon, it was so small at Brandon University was just like a little family and they just immediately kind of adopted me, you know, told me they would find me a summer job somewhere amazing. And uh, yeah, I just got folded into this group. So yeah, this, this guy who got me into it, um, I, I ran into him in Toronto like a few years ago. He's, um, he's, he's, I believe he's the curator of a, of a paleontology museum in, in, no in right now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I ran into him, he was in Toronto and I told him, I was like, Hey man, like you actually changed my life. <laughs> and and he, <laughs> he didn't want to take the credit. He's like, no, 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 I didn't do that. I'm like, no, no, you did. I hadn't met you. I never would have studied geology. You know, I never would have went on to do, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have, have gotten here through the same path. I don't know if there's yeah. some other circuitous route I would have taken, but uh, definitely impacted my life. <laughs> well, little, I'm, my head is just spinning right now because little known secret, like I, uh, and I talk about this in a podcast that I think went live just a couple of weeks back, but like as a kid, 
dinosaurs were my life, right? Like I definitely had this vision of being a paleontologist by day and, you know, obviously a big dreamer and like an NBA player at night because those are the only two things I care about. And I thought that was a feasible career path. Um, still love dinosaurs. Like I'm staring at, at like a big model T-Rex in front of me on my, on my shelf right now. So shamelessly, I need to get in touch with, with this friend, right? Who now runs a paleontology exhibit because I just need to, need to speak to him. I've never spoken to a paleontologist before. And in my head, he's just like Dr. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. But, uh, I mean, that's incredible. And I, I think it's very, you know, cool to see that it could just that one interaction and, and then, you know, the subsequent um, path that, that stemmed from there could kind of change somebody's career trajectory and life trajectory, really, because, I mean, it just kind of pushed you in in totally different direction. Um I mean, so, so you made the decision to go into that course and then you kind of, that family took hold and, and you ended up in geology as a profession. And then were you working again for like a research company for university? I guess, what did that career look like? And, and I guess what is career growth in geology look like? Like, I, I don't know what, what that path even, even looks like. Well, I started off working for a private company. Uh, I, okay. worked, I worked for Naranda. Uh, and I, that's when I was doing uh, exploration geology in the Arctic Circle, looking right. for gold. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I worked there for, I just did a short contract there. And then I worked for the Ministry of Northern Development and Mines in Ontario. So I was a regional support geologist uh, yeah. for the M&M. And, uh, and, and that was really fun. That, that was like uh, helping prospectors understand the geology of the land that they had staked a claim on, you know, and doing property visits and yeah. spreading the word about different, you know, mineral opportunities in Ontario and different locations that people might not have been uh, investigating yet. So yeah, it, it was, uh, it was really fun. It was, it was really weird. You know, you had tons of work to do in the summer and in the winter, you're just kind of hanging out. You know, like digitizing maps or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was it was very it was very strange. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember when I was going through the geology program. Uh, one of my professors was always pushing me to get the kind of desk job that I ended up getting at the ministry. <laughs> He's like, "Oh yeah, it'll be so much better for when you want to have kids." <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah seriously. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like there, there were different, different attitudes like that. Right. And, and, you know, it was definitely, there were definitely fewer women around, um, as geologists. And, uh, I always remember going to the company Christmas parties. This is like, especially when I worked for Naranda yeah. and, and it's like me and all these guys. And they're like saying to me, do not tell my wife that you come in the field with me. <laughs> You know, so so it was just like this, you know, it it was just like there was sort of a, I can't help it. There's sort of a creepiness to it all. You know what I mean? Like, even though nothing was happening, you know, it's everyone's professional, but it's like the weird kind of attitudes around female geologists were still kind of there at the time that that I was working. And uh, yeah, so like I said, I I was really happy to move out of that male dominated field and into web development where there are tons (laughs) of women, just women everywhere. Just kidding. Especially in those early stages. I mean, well, I mean, that sort of culture certainly wouldn't have been conducive to you being passionate about the space and seeing a long term career in it for you. Right. So I'm I'm assuming that certainly helped you towards your pivot. Right. But what a pivot. So, I mean, web development in the early 2000s, I, I can understand maybe how you uh, landed on that decision, given kind of the technology boom with the internet and everything. Is that kind of how you ended up making that decision? Because from a skill set standpoint, I wonder how much were you really trans, like, I guess, 
how much of it was really transferable from what you've learned in geology over to this space. It, and, and I guess, you know, how did you really land on web development, web design as, as the one to pivot towards amongst all the other things uh, out there? Well, it is funny, you know, at when I graduated as a geologist, the price of gold and the price of oil were at an all time low. Oh, wow. when, okay. I, when I moved into web development, it was right after the dot com bubble burst. <laughs> so I just have bad timing for buy low. All my, yeah, exactly. I buy low. Um, you know what, the only thing I, I was thinking about that question, of, you know, what was transferable? You know, um, I, I'll never regret learning about how the earth works, you know, right. even, even if it was just so I could explain it to my kids. You know, sure. like I, I love knowing how the earth works. I, I love understanding kind of the underlying structures of our world and, and where I am. If I'm going to go on vacation, I always check out what's the geology, where should I go? What can I look at? Yeah. You know? So from that perspective, you know, I, I won't ever regret it, but in terms of transferable skills, like I, I, I remember when I spoke at the South by Southwest conference, one of the stories I told was about one of, you know, a screw up that I did when I was a geologist, which, you know, there were kind of numerous different screw ups that I did, but <laughs> the best, the best story I thought was, you know, all of us piled uh, into the helicopter one day. Um, the, the pilot was supposed to bring us to this area. Uh, we were all kind of new and we weren't paying attention to where he was going. We, we just assumed he knew where he was going, but he wanted us to tell him where to go. And we all had like a map. <laughs> like, we, okay. like it was, it was kind of different back then. Like he didn't have like a coordinate he was shooting for, like we were supposed to tell him and we were supposed to figure it out. We didn't know that. Anyway, he landed on the wrong spot. And then, uh, he dropped us off and then he said, look, I'm, I'm out of commission for the next like five hours. So I'm going to come back here in five hours. I'm not going to be within radio calling distance. So we are like, fine. He left. And then that's when we really started looking at the map and we're like, oh shoot, we're, we're, we're not even, <laughs> we're not even in the right area. And so we were all just kind of standing around and, uh, we didn't know each other very well. We, uh, we had all just started and, and, uh, none of us wanted to just kind of sit there, but nobody really knew what to do. So finally I said, you know what? We're here. We have all our tools. Let's just map this area. Cause like what, what else are we going to do for five hours? Yeah. Right. So let's map this area and it can just be kind of, you know, knowledge that, that our company has after, uh, sure. even if this doesn't turn out to be an area that they're interested in. So, so that's what we did. And then later on, uh, we went back to camp and then my boss got mad at me and said that I wasted everyone's time, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it, it wasn't, it, he knew it wasn't my fault that we landed in the wrong spot. It was all of our fault. Um, but, but I, I stood by my decision and I was like, look, even if it just got us into mapping, it was like our first day, everybody, everybody yeah. you know, got down to business and it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, and then he was like, okay, fine. And, and then he's like, you know what, we'll take, we'll take your, your samples and we'll get them assayed and, and we'll, we'll see what's in them, whatever. No, it's fine. But the, the big takeaway that I took from that was that I could influence people like who there's this group of random people that don't know each other. Um, most, mostly guys who, you know, might've been construed as being a little bit more aggressive than, than me. Uh, and, and you know what? I, I said, look, this is what we're going to do. And I convinced everyone and they all listened to me. And, and that, that was transferable. Peter. That's a powerful that's, thing. That's, that's, that's what I took <laughs> from geology, you know, like that, um, yeah, yeah, maybe just just the the leadership skills. Very cool. Yeah, I, I think that's an incredibly powerful thing. And and also, I mean, talk about 
the stories that you're just going to carry with you to be able to tell, right? Like I, I, you know, I, you talk about piling into a helicopter, whereas I talk about like piling into the TTC subway to get to work, <laughs> right? It's just not the same. And, uh, and just what a moment, right. To make the best of it and to still be productive. And I think, yeah, to this idea of like influencing folks to make the best of the situation. Also what an icebreaker, right. In terms of a couple of folks getting to a chemistry building session on the field. I think that's very cool. Um, well, I mean, it, with that, right, you're able to carry that with you into, into kind of the web design, web development field. And then, you know, as you stated in your early kind of years in your career, that there was no specialization in the roles or separation of the different capabilities within the space. Uh, and so it sounds like you were able to benefit pretty hugely from that kind of general experience at the beginning, getting to kind of, uh, you know, test yourself across a number of different areas. Would you say that that was beneficial before kind of entering into that specialized kind of uh, a slice of, 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 of web design, web development that you occupied? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, the way I kind of describe it is like, um, uh, when you, when you shine white light into a prism and then it breaks down into colors on the other side. So, yeah. so like when those, those old web developers, web designers or whatever, webmasters, they would call us back then. Like we were the, we were the white light. We had all of the components inside of us. And then now it's broken down into that kind of rainbow and, and, and everybody's their own, their own little color of, of whatever it is they do. But when we had to do everything back then, we had to have such a broader understanding of all the aspects that went into creating experiences. And I found that over the years, as everybody specialized, it's kind of like they've forgotten some of the basics that they really need to understand, right. like all the kind of fundamental building blocks to an experience. And those are the things that would make that experience accessible. And, you know, if you, if you have a user experience designer and they're creating a form, for example, but they don't really understand the fundamentals of how form controls are supposed to work. You know, like there's, there's usability yeah. pr principles. There's, there's research that's been done on, you know, when should I use uh, a select menu versus a set of radio buttons? You know, when, right. right. When should I use checkboxes versus radio buttons? If, if you get a bunch of people who don't really know those basic building blocks and they're just, you know, trying to make something that's kind of fun um, it, it might be fun for a mouse user to use that form, but if you're trying to use it with your keyboard or screen reader, if the person didn't design it the right way, it's not going to work the way that you expect it to work. And then that's pretty much the definition of accessibility is, is or inaccessibility, I guess, when something isn't working the way that you expected it to work based on right. how it's supposed to work. So, so yeah, I think it's a huge benefit to kind of the old school people who can remember, oh yeah, you know, it, it's actually supposed to work this way. And, and, and how did we get to where we are now so that we can figure out, you know, how to kind of get back to that place where things work in expected ways again. Interesting. And like for myself, even reflecting on my own career, as you say this <clears throat> for the first five or six years, you know, I had, you know, this crash course of all the different areas of data, whether it was implementation, QA, tagging strategy, reporting, analysis, personalization, A-B testing, audience strategy, et cetera. And just getting that full breadth of experience across the kind of the full spectrum across platforms, instrumentation, analysis, and strategy you know, it positioned me really well to make a transition into data strategy where I am now, because I, I have an understanding of the full ecosystem. Right. And, and for me, I've, 
I am a pretty staunch supporter of the idea of, of having that more diverse general experience and specializing later on, uh, if, if that's the right, you know, career path for you, um, just because of the, the fact that it helps you hone context as to how what you do when you specialize fits into the bigger piece of the puzzle. And it sounds like similarly, you kind of um, see the benefit of that. I'm curious in the web design, web development, do those opportunities in early career um, kind of roles still exist to get that well-rounded experience? Or do folks, uh, you know, unfortunately have to pick and choose way earlier now? I think people have to pick and choose way earlier now. However, they might have the benefit of, of learning about some of those topics in school beforehand. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right? Um, unfortunately, I don't think schools are doing a good enough job at teaching um, how to create accessible experiences yet. Right. But, but at least, you know, you might have an opportunity in college to, to get exposed. Definitely, you could take a user experience program now. But then again, that's kind of to what I was saying before. That's kind of like a specialty way of getting right. into it. Yeah. Um, you know, there are little opportunities that that we can all do in our jobs to kind of get exposed to those other areas if we take them. You know, like and it used to be easier, right? Like I remember when I started at Publicis APN, I was a front-end developer, and it was my job to review the wireframes for do to do it just like a basic feasibility check. Like mm-hmm. just make sure that the, the designer wasn't suggesting that we could do something with the experience that just isn't even possible. Right. Right. So, so, and that's the level that they're looking for. Right. But, but I would kind of employ what I call now as like stealth accessibility. So (laughs) I would go through the wireframe and if what they were suggesting didn't actually work with a keyboard or they hadn't provided the inputs of how it was supposed to work with a key, with screen reader or, or whatever, if there was just a better way to do it that would work for everyone, yeah. I would kind of put that under the heading of tech feasibility and be like, nope, can't build it this way. doesn't work for a keyboard. And, and they might say like, well, it doesn't have to work with the keyboard. And I would say, yeah, it does. <laughs> if it doesn't work yeah. with the keyboard, it doesn't work. So, so you can kind of insert yourself into other fields. You can, but you have to kind of be bold. I think to right. do that now, back then it was easier, I think. But now I, when I talk to, you know, junior people on teams, I, what I hear makes me think that they don't get as many opportunities to kind of naturally overlap, you know, for right. some reason. And, and I hope I'm wrong. Like maybe just the, the, uh, projects I've been paying attention to, there seems to be more of a, like toss it over the fence to the next person kind of right. thing, you know, happening in the world lately. And, 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 and again, I blame that on kind of the specialization aspect, like everyone's so busy focusing on their thing and it's just like moving it to the next group to kind of absolutely their part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I really appreciate what you said there is this idea of like being bold to insert that thinking. Right. And you know, that in, immediately, like, just from moments ago, you talked about your ability to influence people and how you kind of transferred that skill set away from geology in, 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 in that story that you shared. And it seems like that then really did serve you as you were kind of passionately advocating for accessibility, even before it was like a recognized focus area. Right. Um, which I think is very cool because that's already showing kind of that, that transferable uh, skill serving you well afterwards. Now, you mentioned um, Sheldon Montero, right, and how he gave you a voice and an opportunity early on to really focus in on and and speak to accessibility on a large project, which I think is exciting. And um, that I experienced similar things where people gave me responsibility and opportunity, right, that maybe was outsized in comparison to my, you know, 
career stage or whatever the case is. And that really unlocked a lot for me. And I guess maybe talk a little bit about how that project then set the course for the next handful of them in terms of how you approached inserting accessibility and, and, and really making sure it was being focused on and, and acted on. Well, actually, for the for the project that I was talking about, it was more of a I was a general uh, front end tech lead for North America. And I was working mm-hmm. with uh, we had a really big QA team and back end development team in India. And we were in UAT. There were tons of issues coming up, like just so many bugs happening with, with the code. It was it was hard yeah. to keep track of them all. And um, I had never met Sheldon in person before, but he invited me to come down. He, w- he was set up at, at uh, a campus in Kansas, uh, working with a big team there. And, uh, he wanted to, to meet me and talk about, you know, what we were going to do to fix this issue, uh, with UAT. So I was thinking about it, thinking about it. And I thought, you know, with, uh, with the number of issues that are coming up, um, it's just really hard to keep track of them all. And, and you know, you fix one and you end up breaking something somewhere else. So I had right. this idea that, that we should fix it. It was, it was an e-commerce site we were working on. So I had an idea that we would, we should fix the issues by page. Like we should like get a one page perfect and just certify it. And then we move on to the next page. And then it's really easy to to see if you broke something on the first page because it's perfect, yeah. right? So, so I came there with this idea, which like I would highly recommend anyone do. It's like sounds sounds pretty basic, but like come into whenever there's a problem, like you think of the solution, right? Like if you're closest to that problem, and I, I think right. this might have been Sheldon's way of thinking, like she's closer to the problem than I am. So let's hear what she has to think about it. Even though I was only you know a senior developer at the time, and he was a vice president, yeah. so I, I went there and I talked to him. It was it was very nerve wracking. Even you know Sheldon seems quite intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> and even though he's the yeah. nicest human on he, the planet, he is. Yeah, but when you don't know him, you're like. Oh no. So I, I went there, I, I gave him my idea about certifying the pages. And then, uh, the, the next day I was sitting there with one of the, one of the developers on my team and I was looking at the dashboard for QA and I was like, huh, that's weird. Um, the only defects that I see listed here for us to work on today are with, or with the homepage. That's weird. And he's like, well, isn't, isn't that what you asked for? It's like, didn't, did you not ask for, for him to just give us defects for one page and then we would fix it. And, and, and I was completely floored because he was right. Like this was my idea <laughs> being executed, you know? And, and, uh, I don't know if, if I can convey, uh, the massive machine that is, you know, like, a, like, a, there, there are like 80 to hundred people on a software development team in one of our Indian offices. Right. And yeah. to, and to get that machine to start working a different way, Right, because this was not the yeah. normal thing to just have them focus on one page at a time. Um, that 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 was massive, and it's nothing that I ever could have put into place myself. And and he just did it. He just made it happen. <laughs> and, yeah. and I I was so struck by like the trust that he had in me that he's gonna okay fine that's your idea let's do it and it worked. So so this did so many things for me right like first of all this like really influential. Uh, senior leader is listening to me. That's amazing. Um, and yeah. then he let me try out my idea and my idea worked. So that's, that's just phenomenal, right? Like that right. is a real confidence booster. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then, um, you know, just even just getting to meet the, the other kind of senior leads on that team. Um, it, it really was a fantastic stepping stone for me in my career. Like I, I, some of those people are still at the company today, along with me. Like I've been there for a long time, like over 16 yeah. years. Uh, and you know, when I, when I meet with them again, you know, some of them have even moved to Toronto and it's like, I, I remember working with them when I was just, you know, basically a little kid. So, uh, it's, it's really, 
yeah, it, it was a magical project for, for me, the really fantastic outcomes and, and cool. enabled really, you know, enabled by, by Sheldon. Yeah. And I, I love how you described being just a little kid because I similarly have kind of grown up at the organization and um, starting fresh out of school as a junior associate. And now, you know, as a director, getting to work with a lot of these people that I, I, I really did look up at, right, at, that are senior leaders then and still now. And uh, it's very cool starting being able to work with them at a different point in your career because it very much um, changes the dynamic and it's, it's, it's cool to see those relationships evolve. Um, but then, you know, you talk a little bit about uh, Raju who, who then gave you that congratulatory email after you kind of were able to sell in that accessibility opportunity as kind of like a formal project. That is such a huge thing that advocacy and championing, it took him probably five minutes or less to write that email and send it out. And it's so little effort, but understanding the impact that that has for people, for their emotionally, um, you know, as well as just how their career trajectory could change after an email like that. Talk a little bit about the impact that that had and maybe, you know, how you've done that for folks since then, right? As you become, you know, a senior leader yourself. Yeah, I remember after Raju sent that email out, um, I got my first email uh, from Alyssa Altman, who was also on your podcast, yeah. uh, introducing herself, saying congratulations. And, you know, Alyssa became a really powerful figure in my career as well. I used to meet with her almost every week when she lives in Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, just being able to be connected to a leader like Alyssa and, uh, you know, Alyssa sponsored many of my first uh, accessibility kind of uh, investment projects that I worked on in Toronto. You know, mm -hmm. it was only because of Alyssa that we got to create the uh, accessible e-store hackathons that we did. Right. Just, yeah. Like it's, it was um, creating um, a template for an accessible e-commerce site that was designed uh, and developed from the ground up considering accessibility first. We have that prototype. It's, it's available online. The fact that we were able to share it publicly online with everyone, um, you know, that, that is due to, you know, the, I, you know, that, that, that is due to Alyssa. That's due to the vision of, of my boss, uh, Tom Bailey, also another fantastic uh, leader who I've had the opportunity to work with, who believed in the idea that Publicist Sapient should have a, a public facing uh, open source um, GitHub. We never right. had that before. I, right. I, had, I made that first one um, to share our accessible code with everyone. Right. The idea right. Of, of not um, not being proprietary about accessibility best practices, like like trying to trying to improve the state of, of software in the world, you know, yeah. like by showing what we've done with it. Um, but but yeah, like uh, getting getting back to what you were saying um, about Raju. Um, you know, just, I feel like a lot of doors opened for me because he was so generous, uh, in his feedback on, on me selling through that work. And, uh, you know, that, that was, I, I was so touched by that. Um, I, I would bend over backwards for Raju after that, you know, if he ever needed me to do anything, I just drop everything I was doing and, and get it done. Yeah. You know, cause I like, this is a, these are good people, you know, and it's really fantastic to have such good people to work with. Yeah. And I think that anyone who um, is hearing this, it will probably look back on similar kind of acts uh, that maybe happened in their direction during their career. And it, and even in my own experience, like they really do just motivate you so much more. Right. E even if you think about like, 
you know, from a different perspective, you've had this accomplishment, maybe one of your first big ones, let's say, uh, shared with this group of very senior people who largely can dictate the trajectory of your career in an organization. Now, suddenly there's this pressure of like, well, I don't want to be a one hit wonder, right? Mm -hmm. I I need to follow this up with more successes like this, right? I need to capitalize on this opportunity of recognition with momentum, right? And, And continued delivery of like excellence or success. And so, you know, it's a motivator in so many different ways and it unlocks so many things for people. It's, you know, I, I consciously try and do it as often as possible for folks just because I think it makes a really big difference. Um, so yeah. And I love to hear that as just like an agreed example and maybe validation that folks should continue to do this, you know, who are listening and in a position to do so. Um, but from here, I want to transition a little bit to kind of you as a speaker, right? Because you talk about the fact that your first big conference, uh, you know, instead of being, you know, one that was through that internal MBA program, it ended up being South by Southwest, obviously huge, huge conference. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm curious because I've had the pleasure of hearing you speak a number of times and you are in fact excellent, right? And uh, with South by Southwest, with the magnitude of that being kind of your first major speaking engagement, how did you prepare for that? You know, what was that process like and what was the experience like? And I guess, what did it unlock for you as a speaker afterwards? Cause like, if that's your first one, everything else has got to feel easy after that. Well, you'd think, but that's, it never, it never feels easy for me, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, there, the, the first time that I spoke, I led up to it by just practicing Every day, I just practiced so much. I, I actually, one of the things that I did was I would give that uh, talk to my daughter. So I, I have a daughter; uh, she's fourteen now. Cool. So I, I would do my, I would do my talk for my daughter. She's nine, and uh, I, my talk was about the lessons I learned uh, in male-dominated careers. <laughs> Right. <laughs> leadership lessons I learned in male dominated careers. And yeah, my daughter was a fantastic person to bounce that talk out of, you know, she was, she was like, mm, like I could see her kind of like getting bored in parts. So I would change. Oh, interesting. Parts. Yeah. Or, or she would have, she would be confused about one part. So, you know, I would, I would, you know, uh, give more detail around that part, but yeah, giving your, your talk to a little kid is definitely helpful. I would have never thought of that. I would always, I would always, first of all, run my talks past my daughter and I would always include my daughter in my talks. So, um, my, my kind of transition slide, you know, my, my talk was kind of about all the different little epiphanies I've had throughout my career. And a lot of times those would come through from my mentors that I had, um, you know, and, and a lot of them I've talked about today, you know, I mean, like one of them is like, trust a junior, you like trust a junior person the way Sheldon trusted me, right? Like you're, yeah. you're going to blow that person's mind and you're going to give them the opportunity to succeed. And, and if they do, you know, hopefully they do, this could really make their career, you know? Um, but every, every transition, every time I had the epiphany, I, I showed, I showed like a, like this volcano erupting and, and cause yeah. my, my daughter used to say boom all the time, you know, like, <laughs> like my drop, she'd be like, boom. And, and so I would do that in between all my, all my little talks. And yeah, um, my, my daughter would come to ask me sometimes like, where am I in this talk? Oh, <laughs> she, cool. she was in my, she was in my MBA talk like that, my, um, 
my chief marketing technology officer university talk that I ended up doing. She was in there. <laughs> so she's a, a constant figure in my presentations. And, and now in your podcast interview. Yeah, and now so. in the podcast interview. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'm sure she'll enjoy hearing this one. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's that's I, I think that's such an, a simple thing, right? Like, uh, especially if you have your own kid or one that's, I guess, available to you through family or friends, right? Why not? I think that's a great way of, of giving a shot to make sure everything can be understood and and you're not losing the audience because I think like to your point like a kid of that age would just have such exaggerated reactions right because it's just unfiltered and so you know there's no um yeah there's there's no filter hiding kind of maybe what their their true engagement with you is which is very cool I think that's a very cool uh tactic for people to to maybe leverage um but I guess from here, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, it's been a long road, obviously, from you recognizing the need to focus on accessibility many years back to now leading a COE globally at a global organization like Publicis Sapient, right, with backing. Um, that That's a huge, huge shift, right? And I guess obviously took a lot of perseverance. And I'm sure there were even moments where you were... I guess there's the conflict of you believing very deeply in the vision for this and having a passion for it, but maybe um, like, did it ever, for example, did you feel like there was like a slow uh, or I guess a lack of pace in your growth as a result of your focus on it or anything like that? Or I I guess were there moments along this path where it, you were challenged to maybe continue pushing for it and maybe it didn't seem worth it at any moment or how did you overcome that? Because I I know there are people out there who have a vision for something, but maybe are feeling set back by the fact it's not moving at the pace they wanted to. And they're not maybe focusing on other aspects that could advance their career. Um, But they're challenged because it is their passion. It's their vision. So how do you manage that? And how did you kind of continue to persevere anyways? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, I definitely got tired sometimes, you know, and and frustrated Um, just because, I mean, I, I realized, you know, nobody, nobody is out there purposefully making experiences that don't work for 15% of the population that has a permanent right. disability, right? Like no one's trying to do that. It's just through ignorance. They just don't realize that, that what they're creating doesn't work for uh, a subset of the population. Um, so yeah, persistence, uh, that, that is a great word, uh, for me, I was extremely determined and I, and I sometimes felt like a broken record, you know, like I was always, sure. no matter what we were talking about. And, and I think that's really the advice I would give is just, if you really want to make something happen, um, and, and, and it really is something that touches on almost all the aspects of everything you do, like accessibility. I really had that going for me. Like it really, it, it impacts everything, right? Like I was asking you if yeah. this podcast had captions and I was happy to hear that it did. Right. So there's always an opportunity to talk about accessibility. And so that's what I would do. And I was always the person who bring up accessibility and I would get sick of hearing myself do it, but I just kept doing it. And I just kept doing it. And, and it's like, sometimes you feel like you're going nowhere uh, and you just keep going and you just keep going. And then all of a yeah. sudden, and it's only because you kept going, you'll get this opportunity. Like when, when, right. I, when I look back over my, my whole life, like I, I started out as this kind of um, adventure opportunist, you know, anytime I have yeah. an opportunity to do something weird or like yeah, adventuresome, like any travel opportunity, always say yes, just boom. Yep. I'm there. I'll do that. I'll do that. And then it, it became that way in my career too, right? Like, Oh, opportunity to take this geology class. Sure. Oh, opportunity to work in the Arctic circle. Fantastic. You know? And, and then it's like, Oh, 
then I, I started being less uh, opportunistic and more intentional about right. it. Right. So, so I think it's like uh, being persistent, being intentional about what you want to do. And, and if this is what you want to do, then there's like, you know, there's, there's a few things that you have to keep doing. Otherwise you're going to lose it. And, and so that's what I did. I just kept doing it. Absolutely. I think that's such an important message and such a valuable thing that, you know, the way that you've articulated it, the, the, I guess the intersection of persistence and intentionality, right. And, And then that singular focus to continue pushing for that vision to be realized, I think is really important, whether it's for somebody who's starting, you know, a startup and trying to build a company around their vision or trying to do it within an organization like you have, right. Which maybe at times could even be more difficult, especially, you know, if you're not like an executive who's throwing it at the organization top down, right. Um, there's so many challenges in place and it is in fact, like moving mountains, right. I've learned that myself in some of the experiences I've had at this organization and, um, as I'm sure it would be at, you know, any other large organization. So I think that's a, it's a really powerful, uh, message and a, and a, and a great one to, to leave off on. And honestly, I just wanted to say thank you. This has been a fantastic conversation. I think there's so much here for people to walk away from, um, from, from such a great career journey. And honestly, I really look forward to see how now this formalized global COE takes shape over the next couple of years and, and have you back on here to talk about the wonderful successes that it's delivered since. Well, thanks, Peter. I look forward to that too. Thank you.